Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 74. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. And how are you two feeling after your first sort of rock star performance at a live show? Have you, have you sort of calmed down? Have the, you know, have, um, have you, you settled back into normal routine? The rock star sort of treatment is over. The limos take, took, took, took us back to our, you know, hotel rooms. So we, we all feeling sort of a bit more relaxed and Did calm. Did you get a limo? Uh, oh, you two didn't? Oh. Oh, I just thought that was what everyone got. Oh, sorry. And Lisa didn't get the Lisa didn't get the green M and M's either. Oh no, Lisa, you got to get your rider in much earlier if you want to get this stuff. Um, for those who have no idea what we're talking about, if you go back to our uh, last episode, episode seventy three was our the first recording of our, our first ever live show, which is at the Social Justice in Early Childhood conference. It was a really uh, fun experience and a great conference, so really worth going back and, and listening to. Uh, we'll also be at another yeah. yeah. It was good fun. I was just going to say thanks for asking us. It was really good. Yeah, yeah it was great It was fun. good. Lovely to... And was uh, the sound quality okay? Well, do you know, Did Eliza, it? it was from yours, uh, not from my microphone for <laughs> some reason. I didn't say that, so you had to give me a compliment. I just <laughs> wanted to know if the end result was good for our listeners. Yeah, well, I think it, was, it wasn't too bad. There were a few clicks and bangs as we went along, but I think, uh, I think everyone, it seemed to work, and we'll have another chance to uh, improve our live recording skills. So uh, just a reminder... All three of us will be at the Little People Big Dreams Conference in the Northern Territory in the uh, October 13th, I believe, or it could be October 14th. Um, check the website to, to make sure, but uh, we'll all be there as well. I think we're, are we, were we doing a live show there as well? Was that the plan? I don't know. I've agreed to go. I don't, I don't think we've been asked to do that, but let's just do one anyway. We'll just do one let's anyway. Let's do one when we're there. Yeah, yeah. we'll do one when we're there. <laughs> we'll do a street podcast. Not, yeah, even if it's not live. Exactly. I mean, you know what I mean. Yes, we'll, be, we'll definitely be recording some uh, content. For, for the uh, for that episode for sure. So if you're uh, couldn't see us in in uh, New South Wales in Sydney, uh, but you're happen to be in the Northern Territory on that day, uh, you know, make sure you you're at the Little People Big Dreams conference and come up and say hi. We're we're fairly nice people in real life. We promise. And I noted we've got bookings on the agenda for next year already. We're becoming popular. That's right. <laughs> right Against our own better judgment. Yeah. You know what you're Either that or everyone else in the sector is busy. It's always a bit hard to tell. <laughs> More likely what's, that. What's our greatest asset? Availability. Availability, that's right. <laughs> BYO equipment. We bring our own microphones to everything. <laughs> Listen, Liam, before you start tonight, can I just apologise for my exceptionally deep voice? I'm not trying to, you know, um, become more... To sound more like you, I just have a very bad cold at the moment, so I apologise. I thought you were in training for dropping like a jazz album or something, (laughs) but, you know, I'm sorry to hear you're not well. (laughs) All right, well... We'll, uh, we'll we'll head on for the for the show. Where the main just uh, the main topic of discussion for tonight is going to be uh, working towards centres. So well, I guess you know, uh, some what's the issue with the number of services who are you know still rated as working towards in the sector, and more particularly, what's been done to support those services, both at a national and a state and territory level. Uh, but we also wanted to uh, before we go to the main topic, we did want to talk about you know a fairly big bit of bit of news that's sort of been uh, pretty discussed in the sector over the last week or so, which is the uh, the media article in the Australian Financial Review from the Mitchell Institute, which highlighted that the most recent uh, budget 
uh, papers um, sort of demonstrated that the government isn't planning on uh, funding the National Partnership Agreement for Universal Access to Early Childhood Education past 2020. Now, that incredibly long title uh, is basically just the, the agreement between the federal and all the state and territory governments uh, who fund different amounts uh, to ensure that children in the year before school can access 15 hours of preschool a week, adding up to 600 years, uh, 600 years, 600 uh, hours <laughs> a year. It just feels years, would, like 600 yes, years. It, uh, what, right. what, imagine how great every child would be if they had 600 years of preschool. It's not that much to ask for, is it? I mean, come on. Uh, so, I think they'd get a little bit bored after the first 500 or so. <laughs> That's true. You've really got to, yeah, yeah. You've really got to be planning some pretty exciting stuff in that six hundredth century, in that sixtieth century. But, um, <laughs> but let's. But um, so this, this this is an interesting interesting piece. And actually, Elisa and I were having a good Twitter argument in our in our private messages about this. So this is kind of news, and it also kind of isn't. We did know about uh, this back in May when the budget was announced. Um, it's worth sort of being as, as specific as possible around what's actually in the budget. So um, it does sort of state that the government are budgeting for savings post-2020 uh, as a result of the conclusion of the National Partnership Agreement on Universal Access to Early Childhood Education on 30th of June 2020. Now, very smart people such as uh, Lisa Bryant, who's on this uh, podcast today, did, did know about this and spoke about it and, and actually wrote some stuff for some organisations coming out. So it's one of those moments we did know. I put my hand up and said it kind of sailed me by. And I guess one of the challenges is this, this funding has sort of been under threat for so long that's kind of the default now uh, that we we kind of expect that the government's not really committing to it and has always sort of said, look, we want to review it, we want we want to we want to change the funding arrangement. Uh, but this one, they are budgeting for the saving. Uh, the education minister Simon Birmingham has sort of denied that they're, they're cutting funding, but that he does say they want to change the funding model. Um, so. And I guess the main point is this is this has sort of hit the sector, it's hit the media, people are talking about it, and the government's under a fair bit of pressure around the, the, the potential conclusion of the National Partnership Agreement. So I think it is important we, we touch on it. Um, you know, Lisa, you you know you are obviously paying far better attention to me uh, than me to budget time. Um, what, when it sort of hit the media, what was your sort of thoughts when this sort of became a bit of a story in the sector? Oh, look, I I thought that it was just very good that um, the Mitchell Institute had managed to get um, a journalist, you know, um, interested in it, and not just the Mitchell Institute, one of our um, Patreons, isn't it? I am very sure, um, yes, the wonderful <laughs> Charlene Smith. Um, who we've also interviewed on the show before, um, like managed to get that placed in the AFR. But it was something that we knew. Um, we knew mostly because the minister had announced back in February that um, that there was only going to be a one-year extension. And then, you know, like the like was there in the budget papers and, as she said, I'd written a thing saying, you know, that, and I'm sure I tweeted it straight away as soon as I found that line. But um, uh, I think it's good that it's been announced and gotten, um, you know, more earplay ear today and it certainly was picked up on a lot by Labor politicians over the last 24 hours. So, um, you know, Leanne, you obviously um, spent a lot of time in particularly sector advocacy and peak roles. Um, you know, I'm assuming you probably, 
would 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 remember, um, you know, the, the setup of the National Partnership Agreement in particular. So it was um, almost ten years ago now. So two thousand and nine, it started. Um, there, there was sort of this five year or four year golden period where there was this continual ongoing funding. And then as soon as the uh, Abbott government at the time came in, we've sort of moved to this twelve month, eighteen month extension period. It's sort of it, it's felt like it's been under constant constant threat. Are you sort of Surprised by by the idea that they're going to look at you know significant uh, reform of this funding arrangement. Well, never never surprised because I think it's always insecure, um, always enraged because <laughs> I feel like this was you know when the national partnerships agreement was made, I thought it was such a great step forward in terms of um, embedding early childhood education into that whole, you know, into the national landscape and to not be at the mercy of the states, I suppose. But I think it's always been, the the federal government has always said it's a state responsibility. They've always felt that that's where it belongs. And in the constitution, it belongs pretty much with the states. But um, I think that it is just a very frustrating thing when, we know that it should be considered to be absolutely fundamental to any um, any landscape, any education landscape. And I, I think one of the problems that the federal government has had over the years is that the states have not always spent the money that they have been given um, by the by the federal government, and it has. In New South Wales has been particularly guilty in the in the past, as the Auditor General's report found. And you know maybe that's part of the the feeling is well, if they're not going to spend the money the right way, then maybe we'll hold back on that. So I think that it's you know enraging, but I think that there's a, a number of reasons why uh, these adjustments are being made. I think when you mention the states and territories, there that's always been uh, uh, Simon Birmingham's fallback with the, the sort of preschool funding is he's been complaining for quite a while now that attendance rates aren't matching enrolment rates. Now, the data for this is uh, unclear uh, slash unavailable, so we're not entirely sure where he's getting this data from, but he um, is suggesting... getting it from the preschool census, which yeah. doesn't cover all children because no. they're in long daycare. No. And it's just a one-week point-in-time census. So no, and as I sort silly. of point... Yeah, and look, and as I, I sort of pointed out a bit on social media this week is that, that look, that, that may be true, and, and but I'm not sure why that, that specific issue can't be resolved, A, through better data, B, through targeted programs to address that. Why does that... But surely that can be done on alongside... Uh, guaranteeing secure funding going forward. But the other thing to remember is, and I'm always a bit shocked by this stat, but, um, you know, the the magnificent um, Sue Pascoe and Deb Brennan, Deb Brennan we had on the podcast a bit earlier in the year in their Lifting Our Game report pointed out that, you know, the the National Partnership Agreement for Universal Access in, in, increased uh, enrolment rates of children in the year before school with an early childhood teacher from 12% to 91%. Now, that's a staggering, you know, policy of success by any measure. And look, and even if participation rates hasn't really if risen be- to the... If you believe the statistics. Well, I, I choose to believe it. It's come from uh, from Deb Brennan and Sue Pascoe, and they, they seem to know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but they've taken it from... The um, reporting from the states. The reporting. Remember that the states didn't like there was always a performance component in it so the states had to 
report that wonderful things were happening in their state, otherwise they didn't get the money. And, of course, no state would ever lie to get money from the <laughs> Commonwealth, would they? But the, 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 the biggest problem is is that we still keep having the argument, not us, but the, there is still this argument about where, where the responsibility lies for um, early childhood education. And, you know, we've seen that this week with the, the issue bouncing around between the states and the Commonwealth. But seriously, early childhood education is the responsibility of this country Therefore, we need to find a much better solution for funding it and stop the ridiculous bouncing around of this issue that means that children miss out. And let's stop the edu- the, the discrepancy between education and care as well. Yeah. Let's, let's, exactly. Let's just call it education. <coughs> let's just make sure that every child gets it. Not that hard. So first thing we have to do is make sure the governments get it and then we can make sure the children get it. But other other countries understand this. You know, it's it's a they're, – they're moving forward in so many ways and we just seem to be moving backwards. I've said it before and I'll say it again. No other country in the world makes, you know, the policy settings for access to early childhood education so, as complex as Australia. Every single part of it is – just you know it, it it's been you know if you sat down to design the most complicated system you wouldn't come up with the, the one australia has because it would just seem too too ridiculous and outlandish i don't know why we make it so complicated uh, but we'll we'll obviously you know keep following the story as it comes or 2020 is a, a little way away we'll probably be up to episode 150 or something um <laughs> by that by then um the only other well, thing remember I, it actually Liam, it actually finishes yeah. Calendar year 2019. Yeah. The only Just other, yeah. year 2020. The only other thing I would add to, to this discussion is that we make sure we continue to apply the pressure to Labor. I've seen a little bit just within the sector of saying, you know, this is why we need a Labor government and, how, you know, the Turnbull government's terrible, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But it's important to remember Labor don't have any specific policy uh, around any of this. They, they've, they've generally said they're committed to... Um, to universal access the year before school, but they haven't specifically committed to say they would continue the national partnership and they certainly have no policy settings around three-year-old preschool. Uh, So it is important to remember we don't actually have, you know, really, in terms of stuff on paper, either major party genuinely committed to this. So that's if, if, you know, if your politics lean that way towards the ALP, um, it's important that that pressure is maintained because we're approaching an election, uh, which means election commitments aren't too far away, which means their policy settings need to be set in. And I think it would be a pretty big shame if Labor went to the next election without a pretty quick, you know, core promise around this area. Mm, so some very, very heavy lobbying of both both the coalition and, and Labor. And I think in the future we need to get early childhood education embedded in to the constitution. Yeah, that's a great so then, idea. So then we can't – so that then it, it's always there and we can stop arguing about it. Yeah. It's a constitutional right then. Legislate and move on, people. Hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, we will take a very short break and then be back with our main topic for the night. So stay with us. All right. 
Alright everyone, welcome back. According to a CEQA, 23% or almost 1 in 4 services are rated as working towards the national quality standard. Although this is a significant improvement from the start of 2013, when 44% of services were working towards, this is still a significant proportion of the sector that is not meeting one or more of the seven quality areas of the national quality standard. So we wanted to talk about what this issue means, what the data tells us, and what's happening across the country to address this issue. So I guess we need to sort of start by uh, defining the issue. Um, so as we sort of said, 23% of, of services are working towards. So it's, it, that's a fairly uh, big you know, number, almost one in four. We know that the initial plan of the NQF was always going to be a rollout period from 2012 to 2020. There's plenty of evidence the services and the sector in general is improving, but there's also evidence of some pockets of particularly poor performance. So we would have to identify family daycare, which has you know, moved backwards in terms of their quality ratings. They were improving and now aren't. The for-profit sector of um, of long daycare provision uh, is also much, much more likely to be rated uh, working towards than the community not-for-profit um, sector. So I guess, you know, at a very basic level, and I think we all would have, you know, pretty, you know, obvious answers to this, but, you know, what is the issue with services being rated as working towards the national quality standard? I might start with you, Leanne. Uh, I think the problem... Liam, with the uh, the 23% of um, services that are in the working towards category and also we've got 36 services overall that are in significant improvement required means that those services are not actually meeting the national quality standard. And if we are going to set a standard and say, okay, this is this is what we call um, good good quality for children, it really means that children are, will be in those working towards services. And if they are not reassessed, they may well improve and they, they might be at a meeting national quality standard. But without this um, reassessment um, strategy being in place within a reasonable amount of time, children may well be in a service that doesn't meet the national quality standard for their whole experience of early childhood education. And, and that, I think that's a rather large problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I would add to that that, you know, looking um, at some of the, the information put out from a sequel, one of the things that surprised me when I looked into this is that um, the, 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 the highest proportion uh, of um, – oh, sorry, I should say that the – what am I trying to say? I'm, I'm wording this badly because it's, it's in front of me, but 49% of services that are rating working towards um, have three to five quality areas rated – working towards, which is the second, which is the highest proportion. So less proportion of services have only one to two quality areas and less again have, you know, six or seven quality areas. But it means that there are more services that have three to five quality areas rated working towards than than one to two. And I've just thrown a lot of words out, but that means that... And 17% that had six to seven. So essentially that means you've got um, 66 percent of services that have got at least three quality areas yeah which is which you know at working which, towards which surprised me you would assume it would work the other way around you'd have the majority would have you know one or two quality areas not meeting but um but they, you know one of that one of the big channel i remember you know in the lead up to the to the rollout of the national quality framework one of the things that the sector most sort of fed back on was that it, it seemed fairly unfair that, it, you know, a service could be rated working towards national quality standard by not meeting a you know, single element out of the 58 elements at the time. We have 40 now under the new NQS. 
Um, but what the data suggests is that it's it, the, the majority aren't sort of borderline cases. A lot of them are not meeting in a pretty significant you know swathe across their their quality area ratings, mm. which which surprised me. And it means that there are probably some embedded problems in some of the in some of these services. Um, but you know, in terms of you know, so Leanne, absolutely right in terms of the impact on children. The reason we have the national quality standard is so that there is you know this minimum standard the services um, have to meet and that children and families can expect. Uh, you know, we, I guess, you know, in terms of, you know, look, looking a bit deeper at the issue, um, how much of a concern should this be for the sector as a whole? And I guess for, you know, for governments, is this something that they, they need to be looking closer at? I might direct that one to you, Lisa. Sorry, could you just repeat the question? That was a very long <laughs> statement finished with a question mark, so it's probably not fair to call it a question. Um, do you think... <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me put it another way, Lisa. Do you think the sector is thinking about this issue enough? No, I don't. And what's frustrating for me is that it was exactly the same under the last quality um, system that we had. Remember the, what was it called, Leanne? You NCC. worked in it for a while? Accreditation. <laughs> Accreditation, that's right. Um, so that, you know, services were failing that and nothing actually happened. And I think, you know, I was Googling today and I looked at something that had been written in the very early days of a sequel where they kind of tried to pre pretend that working towards was okay because it's working towards the national quality standard. But... Well, yeah, I think, I they, were, think they were dealing with people's expectations, weren't they? And they were trying to manage expectations. Yeah. And I, I think when we saw that, we went, oh, right. So there's meeting, but you're not meeting it and you're being given a consolation prize for not meeting it. Yeah. And and the fact that, you know, like the, a sequel are now making a big fuss of the fact that 67% of services rated working towards NQS improve their quality rating at reassessment. But I go, yeah, but 33% still didn't, you know. And so we've still got almost a 1,000 services across the country still rated as working towards. And, and I think and it was the – oh, sorry, keep going, Lisa. Right. In services in the lowest socioeconomic areas of Australia, 22% of – in the lo lowest two brackets of socioeconomic stated, 22% of services in those areas are rated as working towards. 43% of services in very remote Australia are rated as working towards. And, you know, I think that what it kind of means is that, you know, it's, it's the people that... Uh, you know, that miss out, that always miss out again, you know. It's those in in low, you know, in poor areas and those in the bush and they're the ones that just aren't getting the services of the same quality as those in the city where competition is forcing a bit of quality improvement. Yeah, and I, I think, um, too, that, the, that when you're talking about the rural and remote areas, under accreditation, we saw year after year or, or, you know, assessment period after assessment period of those services going on and 
sometimes whole families would put would have their children in a long daycare service and that whole family would never see um, a standard of early childhood education and care that was that was, was adequate for the, yeah, yeah for the whole you know they might have three children going through and we're not at that stage yet because this this particular system hasn't been in place but given that we are not having the assessment and rating process adequately resourced and that we haven't had this going for as long. Well, we're not seeing that result yet, but chances are in a few years' time we will. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Lisa, you have some good stats there. I was going to sort of segue into what the data tells us. And, I, you know, I was going to add, you know, the other thing that concerns me about the quality ratings is that the quality area that's most likely to be not met is quality area one, educational program mm. and practice, which is you know, exactly that idea that children are learning and being educated and that educators are focused on children's learning, which, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's worrying to me that that's the, that's, that's the quality area that's least likely to be met nationally, closely followed it, by quality area seven. But it's interesting, interesting for that one, Liam, quality area one, that it's quite a big discrepancy between states and uh, between each state. So 11% in Victoria of the um, the services that are rating working towards um, were rated as working towards in quality area one, whereas in New South Wales it was 20%. Yeah. So in New South Wales, those, those um, services that are rated as working towards are more likely to have failed quality area one than in some other states. Yeah, and look, and I think this is a discussion point for another time, but, you know, it's hard not to go onto the Facebook group or, you know, somewhere online where people aren't sort of complaining that assessors are unfair and that there's no, you know, there isn't a, there isn't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There isn't consistency across the nation around particularly how Quality Area 1 is um, assessed and rated and supported by um, the, the state and territory regulatory departments. Look, I think that is a discussion for another episode. But It is it is a discussion for another time. But, Liam, this, you know, we're still in an early stage of this system and it, it still needs – I think it still does need time. So there is always going to be some discrepancies and inconsistencies. But the point is that we've got some measure of this and there are still – you know, there's still too many services that are in that working towards category. And when we try to explain a way that that's okay and there's no problem with it, as Lisa was mentioning earlier, and then when a service gets working, you know, moves to sort of, for example, meeting or exceeding and they celebrate and say this is fantastic, then that just tells you that nobody really thinks that working towards is okay. Should it be called working towards? Yeah, is sure. this the problem? Should it be called working towards? I don't yeah. care what it's called. It's I tend to no... tend to whenever I write it for publications, I, I always write working towards in brackets. Not yet not, meeting. Not yet meeting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know. I look. I, I, I do that because otherwise, you know, like for people outside of the sector, it doesn't m make you know a lot of. Um, a lot of sense. One of the things that I wanted to talk about it, though, or the, though, is um, the. I was about to say actually, there's two things, but I knew if I did that, Liam would laugh. No. <laughs> it's not just me. Liam laughs at you too. Oh, <laughs> it's equal opportunities so mocking, Lisa. Come on. So uh, a thing of mockery, then you can both, I'll say both things and you can both laugh. The first thing was that I discovered that 
Um, a quarter of all services, 21%, had one or more confirmed breaches of the requirements of the national law and regulations in since it's been since the system's been happening. So a quarter of all services had one or more confirmed breaches. I found that really high. Um, well, depends on what I, well, I, I, have no, I don't know. I haven't sort of thought through and I don't know what the breaches are, but I think there are times where there's campaigns for particular things that so are being, yeah. And I, My second point, moving straight along, was that a seeker have, um, have ascertained that the primary factors that contribute to quality improvement at reassessment include service staff familiarity with the regulatory system, including the quality rating system, and high quality leadership, particularly from the services educational leader. And I think that both of those uh, say that we really need funded professional development because how do you get uh, knowledge and familiarity with the regulatory system and the quality rating system unless you've got funded professional development yes. and how do you build high quality leadership and how do you build educational leaders with a lot of skill in what they're doing unless mm. you've got and that's a that's a big range of professional development as well because it's content knowledge as well as you know those those um the skill development and that really kind of deep critical reflection as well i think that there should be a national program funded for professional development let's call them the professional support coordinators what a radical idea that would be a good idea yeah i can imagine that happening do you know what I because what what I add in this space as well is that um, because you, I mean Leanne entirely right without to being sarcastic that you know that the loss of the PSCs I think the the flow on effects of that are still being felt but one of them is this you know huge upsurge of you know uh, for profit um, people providing a service and the amount of ads you see on Facebook which is uh you know the the, the NQF hit squad or you know moving getting mm. you from working towards exceeding and I would argue not only are they not supporting the sector the sector they're actively damaging the sector they, the the advice they're giving is is wrong is incorrect I've I've seen what gets put out there by people and and it and it has to be affecting a services ability to a the only change that can come from services can come from within so you know lisa what you were just talking about there which is you know leadership is a critical part of um you know supporting quality improvement in services so leadership and service management is the second quality area that's least likely to be met uh so you know these things sort of you know once you look at the data it all kind of adds up in terms of what the issues are but you know one of the huge issues for me is that there are it's a feedback loop. The sec there are people who are just struggling so much and there's nowhere for them to turn to that it's very easy for people and organisations to prey on services and claim that they can, you know, give them a quick fix hit for, for assessment and rating uh, and and probably leave them in a worse state than they were when they went into it. So when, when you say that they're kind of sending people off down the wrong, tr wrong track and doing more harm, I kind of heard you... Sort of saying they're doing more harm than good in a way. What what is it that those those um, businesses are focusing on? 
quality area one, yeah, for sure. So you see things like particularly template approaches to to documentation and okay. and planning. And look, I may be a bit alarmist, but I but they 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 are useless. There's no requirement for templates in in uh, in the national quality standard. They're not referred to in any way, shape, or form. The templates themselves are appalling. And I'm going to get on my elitist high horse here, but as soon as you see Comic Sans, you should be running a mile. Uh, but they. <laughs> <laughs> they they promote no engagement with the EYLF. They are tick box approaches, and you know I, no one will convince me otherwise that they are not only not helping; they are actually damaging educator understanding and their service understanding of how of what you know quality area one is meant to be about, which is the educators themselves working within their community context to decide the best way that um, you know children's learning can be documented and planned for uh, within the specific group they've got. So, you know, that's one example. You know, there's some similar stuff around quality area two as well. There's some really worrying stuff I've seen about meeting, you know, requirements for some children's health and safety things. But they're, the, the, the aim of these organizations are not, not all of them clearly. And there are people out there doing good work with services, but, you know, a lot of the ones you see advertised, you know, on Facebook are just clearly there to, get services to do an initial outlay of a fair bit of money and then be gone before, you know, they get their assessment and rating result back. Mm. So what, what, Liam, what, you know, what is happening to help those services improve? What a good segue, Lisa. That's normally my job to move the conversation along, but I you, know, can, you can see me I getting annoyed and stressed. So, so we did have some homework to do. Now, somehow I only ended up with one state or territory to organise. I think yeah, the two of you. Yeah, I'm worried that we haven't got them all covered now. That's anyway. all right. Well, well I'll we do don't. mine. I tried to find the ones that you couldn't cover and couldn't find anything, <laughs> so I gave up. Well, let's let's talk about the ones we do now. I'll start with um, the good old ACT, where I'm based. So, at the, at right as we as we record this now, there, there's currently no specific you know government program to support services that are at working towards beyond ongoing, you know, compliance visits and, and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, to, uh, to connect up with our discussion we were just having is there did used to be a program and it was funded under this wonderful thing called the Professional Support Coordinator, Leanne. Um, so, you know, great idea you had there. It's a shame we, we, we didn't... Uh, we, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to hang on to those, but there was a pro direct program there with services who were rated working towards the ACT. Uh, the ACT government uh, gave extra funding to the PSEs to provide specific support for those services around a couple of um, key quality areas. And that was a relatively successful program from what I remember. I don't, the, the program sort of only started, I think, in about 2013 and was sort of done by the time the the funding ran out in 2016. So it's hard to know, you know, what the hard data on whether services improved. Uh, is but you know at least that was something there which we certainly don't have anymore. Yes, indeed. So we must start with you, Leanne, because I think Lisa tried to plug the ones you couldn't find. So, what did you find? Uh, any work that was happening in any of the other states and territories? Uh, yeah, well, Victoria is shining. I have to say, yeah, um, shock. with um, of course their, they are in their reform plan. Most of their work, well, they they are spending twenty two point eight million dollars on quality, and <laughs> of course they are. I I may or may not. It's just be me right sobbing that, gently, listeners. 
<laughs> it sounds like it's predominantly in kindergarten. However, I'm, I don't quote me on that. I can't be 100% sure. Um, but they're, they're providing some staff across the state. So I'm assuming that, that are, they are departmental staff. They're also working with sector to build tools and resources. And they're dedicating $4.6 million to quality improvement grants. And that's probably a little bit like the work that was done by the former professional support coordinators, which is intensive support, intensive coaching and training. And that that would be sort of going into those services, I'm assuming, based on what on my reading, of them going in and providing that, um, you know, guidance, the one-to-one -one, uh, identification of particular needs around quality. So that's, that's Victoria. And they are, they're winning, as far Bastards. as I can tell. Um, the other ones that I looked at were uh, WA and NT, and thank you um, for some great support there from Child Australia to uh, understand what was going on in, in those states. Uh, WA, there's not much happening there. But they did originally have some workshops, two-by-two-hour two workshops um, conducted by the REG unit for working towards. But, you know, you don't get much in a two-by-two-hour workshop, do you? You don't really understand quality in four hours. And if you're, oh, really? in, <laughs> if you're in a certain category of working towards, I think it's probably going to take more than that. Um, mm -hmm. NT, where we really, really, really should be seeing, um, you know, a lot more support and assistance given that they've got 38%. Um, oh, someone just dropped their mic. 38%. Oh, it's my glasses off my <laughs> nose. It's not my day tonight. <laughs> you yeah, a lot of sound effects going tonight, Lisa. Um that, you know, 38% are rated as working towards uh, Child Australia was funded to do some sort of calendar, but again, it's it's had um, some challenges around low attendance, um, which I think the whole country is experiencing around professional development. And uh, some organisations like Child Australia are actually trying to plug the gap themselves by providing um, subsidised on-site consultancy and you know, trying to do some of that support, but I think it would be at best break even. And just just a point around the idea that people would buy into, well, not just buy into, but get it, get engaged in a program when they've been rated at working towards. And the, the experience that, that I think we had as a, a PSC all those years ago was that when services were rated um, in the accreditation system, it took usually about three or four poor assessments and, and a poor rating for them to actually get engaged in in some sort of um, program. So people don't voluntarily go out and purchase support just because they've been rated at working towards. And they certainly, you know, don't necessarily don't spend money. They don't want to spend money on it. So I think that that's a key issue around the sort of support that is being provided. Absolutely. So they, they, they were the ones that I did. So I'm hoping that we uh, did find out about the other states a little bit. Over to you, Lisa. No. I tried to, but I just couldn't find anything on the others. Maybe we can do a shout out. Oh, you did find one though. You did find. What about New, New South, South Wales, Wales, Lisa? 
Oh, yes. New South Wales is doing some amazing thing. Well, it's amazing until you look at the Victorian one and you realise how much was Victoria putting in into theirs? Uh, well, in their reform plan, they talk about $22.8 million, and that's kind of a more broad sort of approach. But as $4.6 million specifically being um, dedicated to what they're calling quality improvement grants. Well, New South Wales is only putting in $2.5 million. But interestingly, they're doing it with a CEQA, so it sounds like they've funded a CEQA to do it. Um, and it's kind of a bit of a, a you know, a, you know, you do a training course here, you have some coaching discussions with someone from CEQA, um, and then you do another training course kind of thing. But it does, it sounds like, you know, quite a good program. Um, uh, but, yeah. Um, so is it is it one-to-one -one support for services that are in that? Um, I think so, but it's hard to know. It's also hard to know who has actually been involved with it. The um, support program guide, quality support program guide that is sick, were very nicely sent me today when I found this on their website, um, says that the SQL quality support program team will spend the time to understand your goals, what makes your service unique and the areas your team has identified for improvement. The program includes face-to-face visits, online training modules, workshops, follow-up online and telephone support and other resources to support quality improvement. But I think it's like, you know, it takes 16 weeks for services to complete and, um, you know, I think a lot of it is, you know, there'll be some visits to the service but a lot of it is via phone or Skype or whatever. Yeah. Now, the only problem I see with that kind of thing is that, A, I'm not sure that a 16-week program does it, you know, is enough, and I think it needs to be quite intensive practice-based coaching to, to actually get a service over the line. But it also, like, we, Leanne, I think we saw this in some of the things that the PSC had to do is that, the services that most need this are the ones that are least likely to be able to get it together to engage with a program like this. Do you yeah. agree? Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think that the way that things did work in the past, I know I always harp on about what, what there was in the past, but I think there was um, sometimes this partnership that was being uh, you know, wrapped around that service to try and support them from from a departmental perspective, and also from um, you know from the PSC and the the Commonwealth as well. So I think that there was you're right. Like it needs a lot more than just that service fronting up and being available. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you know, it's something though, which is you know, you know, we've just obviously heard that a lot of states and territories aren't doing. Um, much of anything in this area beyond, I guess, their ongoing assessment and rating compliance things. But um, it'll be interesting to see if the quality improvement trajectory doesn't continue. So if we find that services are either, you know, we're, we're sort of settling at around a rate of one in four and that's not improving, it'll be interesting to see if there's a push for more funded programs to do something about that. But 
Yeah, I think that that will be that that will be quite telling. I don't know what Queensland's doing. They they usually do dedicate some something, but obviously we, we couldn't find it. Um, but I, you're right, Liam. I, it'll be really interesting to see the trend this this trend and whether it whether um, someone's in the sound effects room again. <laughs> it's called the mute button, Lisa. <laughs> Who's got their hands on the gear of the sound effects room? <laughs> I apologise. Well, this seems like as good an opportunity as ever to probably wrap up our discussion for the night. It sounds like Lisa's got uh, places to be. Can I just um, give say one more thing? The um, It may, in fact, solve itself. I was doing some work for a council today and I decided it was about occupancy of services and I decided to do a cross-correlation between occupancy and quality ratings. And surprise, surprise, every service in this one local government area that had 100% occupancy also had an exceeding rating, and every service that had below 70% occupancy had a working towards quality rating. And I spoke to a lot of those um, directors of those um Services and the ones that were, uh, you know, uh, that had the working towards quality were quite shocked. They couldn't understand why their occupancy was so low. Right. Mm. Okay. So maybe there's still work to be done around understanding what the uh, ratings actually mean. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 an argument to invest in quality. Yeah, we've got, to, we've got to do that, haven't we? Like we've got to, if we're going to have a system that's based on a certain level of quality, we've got to invest in that, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. We do. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for listening for our discussion uh, on this topic. We'll, of course, you know, be be touching back in on, you know, obviously for those who have listened to the show for all the, you know, 74 episodes we've now completed, we know that professional development and leadership is something we talk about a lot. So, you know, if we, if we, uh, A, if you know of particular things in your state or territory that we didn't get to discuss tonight that are supporting those services, please send them through. We'll keep an eye out ourselves. Uh, but that's it for this week of the show. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, particularly if maybe this is your first episode after hearing us at the Social Justice Conference. It's uh, good to have you on board, and we hope this is the level of professionalism you can expect from uh, every week on the on the podcast. But uh, <laughs> until, until we're back next week, it's goodbye from me. And from me, and I will improve my, my noise control by next week, I promise, and my voice. And we will love that, Lisa, and prepare. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leanne McNicholas and produced by Leanne McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username Early Edu Show. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.